Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len. I am your host for this week. And uh, we have a very cool panel to discuss a very interesting topic, starting with uh, I think I think we can pretty much just call you a 3MA regular at this point, <laughs> uh, Mike Williams. Yeah, I guess I am probably a 3MA yeah. regular at this point. We kind uh, of yeah, yeah yeah dragged you into it. Um, and this one essentially started from uh, a, a talk that I was a part of it was the last episode for Terra Nell. Um, where uh, I was dividing the line between uh, uh, strategy and grand strategy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You've talked a lot about uh, us us grand strategy people and our uh, our complicated games, uh, which which is sort of, yeah, part of the the impetus for this. Uh, And to discuss it, we've also brought on two um, game designers that you guys probably know, um, including co-founder of Mohawk Games and our fellow Idle Thumbs podcaster, Soren Johnson. Hey, how's it going? And the studio head over at Paradox Tinto, Johan Anderson. Yeah, hi guys, how are you doing? Um, And we, it was not by accident that (laughs) we invited you both on, uh, because, uh, you know, Johan, you you create a lot of the uh, more complicated simulation-y sort of games that uh, I really like and that, that some of the other 3MA panelists really like. Uh, whereas, Soren, I've I've actually seen you argue that uh, you, you see those maybe even as something separate from a game, as more of like a like a simulation <laughs> sandbox. Uh, do you want to answer to that for that accusation? Right <laughs> Put you on the spot here. Set up the debate early, huh? Put, the, put some words yeah. in my mouth. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, to be clear, I think that if, um, you know, my brain is is warped by, you know, like two decades of working on kind of traditional 4X games, right? And, you know, if I had, if I had probably, you know, joined, you know, Paradox instead, you know, 20 years ago, you know, my, my brain would have probably warped in a, in a different direction. Um, but the, uh, yeah, when I was listening to the Terra Nil episode, you know, it, it just this, this kind of concept of, you know, a, a game kind of straddling the line between, you know, being sort of grand strategy, which is, you know, sort of a term that, you know, Paradox coined for to kind of like differentiate the type of games versus kind of more traditional strategy games just seemed kind of interesting to me because, um, you know, I think there is there is there is a, a, a difference, and I think it's it's kind of worth talking about. You know, what's what are kind of the advantages of different sides? What uh, of what they're for, or you know, how much how much, or even how much the difference really exists. Um, I mean, I'd, maybe I'll just keep talking a little bit more because in um, <laughs> it, this was one of the challenges I had when making Old World was you know it was like okay let's take Civ and let's throw in some Crusader King stuff in there right. Um, and, you know, Crusader Kings is definitely squarely in the kind of simulationist grand strategy space, you know, where um, the game just runs and things happen and you don't have really, you don't really have full control over, over your, your realm. Um, control is probably going to be a, control and agency is probably a topic we can spend a good, you know, chunk of time over. Um, and, and also it's not necessarily clear what your goals are, right? Like there's kind of this, uh, I mean, I, I vaguely even just remember it. You get some sort of 
points, right, that you you gather up over time, because Sarah Kings, but no one seems to really care about that, right? You play the game for the story and the experience. And um, to me, coming from the Civ world, it's kind of amazing that to see the success of Crusader Kings and that people were able to, people were uh, enjoying the game as became very popular, doing all these things that kind of ran the opposite direction of what my instincts would be as a strategy game designer. You know, that like, you know, I feel like players near, need clear goals, you know, and they need, um, you know, the concept of, of victory and defeat. And you need to make the rule, you need to make actions transparent. You know, if you choose this, if you choose X, Y will happen, or at least you tell people you might get Y, you might get Z, but those are you know your two options. There's not not going to be a bunch of you know sort of black box calculations going on. Um, and uh, but clearly there's a big appetite for for games which 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 you know go in, a, in another direction. And um, yeah, I actually struggled a lot in the first half of Design Old World trying to make the game more like crusader kings which was which was difficult for me like early on i kind of didn't even the the ai couldn't really even win the game you know i was just it was just basically like oh you know there's going to be these you know uh specific goals for the player and you know you you know maybe you get there maybe you don't who knows if you win or not people don't seem to care about that's a you know this is like an old-fashioned design victory and loss uh but somehow it just didn't seem to it didn't seem to work um in in the framework that that old world was in so like i still feel like there's this there's this gap between the two sides and it's really difficult to be in the middle yeah and and as was one of those sides also is the sort of I, I guess you can delineate between sort of the grand strategy and sort of simulation aspects and generally when i poke fun at like rowan and lynn and the rest <laughs> uh, for being grand strategy nerds it's because like when i play strategy games I, I i tend to focus on the like immediate strategy maybe building the characters maybe building an army uh and then at a certain point the simulation the knock-on effects the extra stuff is too big for me to keep track of mentally and so i just like i'm like the strategy is too much for me and I've lost, and there's a, there's a level in, you know, jumping from like uh grid brace tactic strategy up to four X and then grand strategy. And then like a full simulation where I just get lost. And that's generally um, like old world is right on the, the edge. So it is good that you're here to talk about this. Like for <laughs> me mentally, like old world is right on the edge of, if you added too many uh, extra layers on top or, or made the simulation just a little bit deeper, I, I'd get lost. Um, and it took until actually like Crusader Kings 3 for me to sort of get Crusader Kings. Um, and even then I'm still kind of like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I I completely missed that, you know, Empire B was over here doing something and... I have completely lost the the plot on what's happening in the game I'm playing right now. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? That's the point of what's making the game different or making a grand strategy game or whatever we call it different from strategy game, that you're not supposed to be in control of everything. You're not supposed to know everything. You're not supposed to be. That's a, that's a, for me, that's a core difference is that 
it's it's more of a experience and not a game. If that makes any sense. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about it from that. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you, Johan, because you probably spent probably more time working on grand strategy games than at least anyone else we've had on this show. Um, and uh, so I was curious to know, like, what in your mind is it that separates a grand strategy game from other strategy games? Uh, plenty of things. First of all, I don't think you can make a grand strategy game and have it turn-based. Because there's... Uh, for That sounds a little bit drastic, but uh, when you're making it turn-based, you have to make certain things more abstracted. When it's like continuous time, you can get more uh, discrete discrete uh, mechanics that are taking various times and taking in the background and you don't need to constantly forward the game yourself. Um, the other thing that I would say is vital or thing is the suspension of disbelief. It's, it's A grand strategy game is basically for me a lot of systems that are running are, and they're like the swarm of minor features that are all interconnected and creating a living world. Uh, if we're going like back to the origins of uh, why we made, I mean, Europe Marisalis, our first GSG or whatever we call them, was originally a board game. Arguably, perhaps one of the one of the most complex board games ever. When we ported and made a computer game out of it, we made it real-time and continuous time and far more abstractions and added lots of mechanics to it because that's the difference. We, we wanted to create an experience and not the game. Yo, yo, I'm, I'm rambling, yeah. Yeah, I'd be super interested to hear. I don't, I don't know if you were there when this happened, but I'm super interested to hear who, because I think you're totally right about that distinction of like, it's very difficult. It would be very difficult to make a turn-based grand strategy game. I'm trying to like think through my head, like would I count King of Dragon Pass in that category? I don't know, probably not. But like, I, I totally agree. Like real time is very key. So were you, there? do you remember like that choice? Because that seems like a kind of unusual choice to make in like whenever that was like 2000, 2001 or whatever it was uh, to make that. Like, how did that come about? <laughs> it was in the late nineties. And to be honest, I don't really remember the discussions that well. <laughs> It was like it sounded like a good idea to solve some things, and we went with it. So that's that's a sad thing. When you've been doing these things for so many years, you don't remember every detail, even important decisions. I don't remember episodes of Three MA that people told me I was on. So, <laughs> and I haven't even been doing this as long as you guys have been making games. So I can I can uh, relate to that somewhere. Um, yeah, Mike, I would actually be really curious, and this is just kind of my routine as a grand strategy evangelist, uh, to see like how you play these games, because I think there is definitely a component of knowing what you're supposed to care about and knowing what you don't need to care about, or like deciding what you want to care about, especially in a game like Crusader Kings, which is why I think it might be better as like a gateway game. Uh, you have a lot of control over what you decide you want to care about um, and what you decide you don't want to care about. Whereas I think in a game like EU4, maybe it's, you're, you usually care about the same things unless you're doing some kind of like weird 
I'm going to be OPM Hamburg and just do trade the whole game, which is a lot of speed five, but can be fine. Um, and that's usually what I do with like my friends who say they don't get it is like, OK, I want to see how you're playing. And I cause, man, there there are so many like just assumptions that are like hammered into my brain from playing these games for thousands of hours where I just intuitively know, OK, I can ignore this, this and this. This is what I should really focus on. Um, I think UI comes into it a lot, you know, with with stuff like the, the different colored flags telling you how much of a problem this is. Um, yeah, the, and that may it, it may also be that I do not uh, have the requisite like playing a game is like speaking a language and like trying to, you know, like when you you pick up a like an uncharted style game or something like that, you hit the the X or the A and that's jump because you're used to that being jump. Uh, there's a sort of understanding there. Whereas I came to most of the grand strategy and heavy simulation games from like, I started playing like Civ games on PC and then also grid based fairly straightforward tactics games on consoles and then sort of moved up into the rest of the games. So there is a, you know, when I engage with Crusader Kings or something like that, uh, or some of the other paradox grand strategy games where I'm just like helplessly lost because I'm, I'm used to having the idea where it's like, all right, I have, say 10 dials that I need to tune. And when I tune these dials in a specific way, I get outcome a, if I tune them in a different way, I get outcome B. Whereas once I, I I find once I get to certain grand strategy games or simulations that are above a certain level, like Terra Invicta, I think Terra Invictus. Is that? Yeah. Um, The, the, the alien invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Terra Invicta. Where, where I'm not dealing with, 10 dials now i'm dealing with 20 dials and like you said like maybe you can look at the 20 dials and tell that you only need to focus on the first like five dials and then the red dial at the end i am just lost like at a certain point like i'm trying to tune dials i'm trying to engage but at a certain point there's information i'm not getting and i don't have the the easy like do this to get outcome a and from what it sounds like johan is saying like that's part of the magic of that is that that doesn't exist it's that it's more of a living breathing world or experience where you're not supposed to know everything and not supposed to have control over everything i was gonna uh, i was just thinking because uh, i'm super much into user research these days and like uh, looking at how players uh, play new games and the games that are in development and so on and seeing the feedback. That's something that intrigued me a lot. And I've noticed that when you have a person that played, let's say, 500 hours in uh, any Paradox DSG, they automatically pick up uh, the UI immediately, even if it's a shitty programmer-style UI or so. Because as you said, Mike, it's... uh, it's a language. It's a, a, a PDS, GSGs 
have a language. I mean, even how different Stellaris and Shady Kings is, it's the same type of language of how you interact with these things. So that's a good uh, analog or analogy or whatever you call it that you mentioned there. Yeah, I was going to talk about something kind of a similar thing of like this concept of game literacy or kind of genre literacy, right? And I think one of the challenges Paradox had is they kind of, you know, they kind of had to build this genre from from scratch, right? You know, like I don't think you know if you could somehow teleport, you know, EU four or you know Hearts of Iron four or something, you know, if you could teleport it back twenty five years, I think people just wouldn't even know what to do with it, right? It would just be you know, overwhelming. Um, and this stuff kind of had to be built up, you know, kind of like step by step and the audience came along with them. Um, and it, it reminds me of, you know, when, when Sid, uh, designed the, or the original civilization, um, he was inspired by, uh, SimCity, right. And so the first version of Civ he built was a real time game. It was like, okay, I'm just going to take SimCity, but zoom out to the whole world, and I'm going to make it run in real time. It just just because I'm, you know, he was in the the mindset of SimCity, um, and he, you know, re- quickly realized that, or you know, he what he felt was that it was just overwhelming for the player. Like there was just no way you could, the player could handle this many decisions going on all at once. And so he kind of that's that's when you made that kind of faithful decision to like, okay, I'm going to make Civ a turn-based game which, you know, it feels like it's such a core part of the game. And I think what's, what's really true, and it's interesting because at the same time, um, Daniel Bunton was making a similar kind of like global scape, a global scale game called Command HQ, which did, which was like just the modern era, but it was like all of the world, like kind of gigantic mass world war type thing. Um, and it did run in real time. And it was, it was basically too much for people to handle. Like it just, it, you know the 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 literacy, or even just the fact that like like I, I don't know would that game have run with a mouse or a joystick? I don't know. It's just I, it was it was kind of a game before its time, right? And it sort of it took it took kind of like a long time to build up people to the point where they they are ready for these type of games, and 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 people aren't going to get that from from scratch. So I am kind of curious how Paradox, what you know, like what you know, what Johan said is like, yeah, like when you show one of our games to you know, a veteran, like they get it, but you show it to someone new, they don't, right? Like how does, how do, how to address that issue, right? Over time. That's the sad fact that every single game we make uh, gets a, some new players come in and then some learn. And of course, uh, uh, you can all, if you improve the UI, as we've been doing a little bit in the last few decades, uh, you, you get more and more people to stay. And of course, if you steal uh, good UI ideas from other people, like uh, uh, the nested tooltips, was it John Schaefer that invented it? Yep. I think yeah. it's the best UI uh, idea ever created, in my opinion. I cannot <laughs> literally cannot play games without it anymore. I just get too yeah. We both we both stole stole that. I get super frustrated when I play games now, and I like I want to like you know middle click on the thing to get the. I'm like, where's the other tooltip? Like, <laughs> like, what's wrong here? John Schaefer should be in like literally the Hall of Fame of, of like most influential game designers ever, just for that invention alone. Yeah, it was super useful, and, and like I said, I I got into some of the more grant strategy after listening to our resident nerds talk about it. 
um, when I had to preview and then review Crusader Kings 3, which seemed to be designed to sort of like, let's reach out to some players who might not know some of this stuff. Um, So that was a lot of me sort of building that literacy. And the Nested Tutelps helped with like, sometimes I'd just be like, obviously there's a system back here that's doing something that I just don't understand. And, and it was good to be able to, to look up and see some of those stuff. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Nested tooltips are great for helping us as designers. Like when you answer the question of like, how much information should I put in this tooltip? Right. Because you, there's always, there's basically like you could fill up the screen if you really wanted to explain everything that's going on in the game, but obviously that's a bad idea. So you have to figure out, okay, what's the right amount of information that makes them understand what's going on, but doesn't overwhelm them. And having nested tooltips means that you can make it, you, you can err on the side of less information, which makes people feel less overwhelmed, but it's there when they need it, right? And, like you, and, you, and you can use fun words like domain and feudal and uh, scooter, scootage and all those words. And people <laughs> yeah. can actually read yeah. up and exp- understand what we mean. Yeah. I had a habit with tooltips of always capitalizing things that were like essentially what I thought of as like, proper nouns within the game setting. So, you know, whatever that'd be like culture or civics or training or whatever. Right. And like, um, I had always done that and it was like, I was waiting for someone to (laughs) come up with a way to make it, make that actually important just to like help people understand that this, this isn't a random word I'm using. This is something that actually has meaning within the context of the game. Um, uh, Mike, I am curious about you when you said that like CK3 was one of the first times you're kind of able to get over the hump. Is there, is there more that you could, I'd be here interested to hear like, what other things were there that like made the difference for you? Yeah. So I didn't like entirely get over the hump, but (laughs) sort of like uh, CK three is about when it, the idea crystallized for me of like, Hey, let's focus on just the story that's happening within my specific empire. So like whenever I play CK three, I still tend to, uh, I guess, quote unquote, lose a lot of the time, like my empire will just slowly get taken over while I'm focused on the story of my dynasty. And I don't always know why something happened, like why I lost or why I lost, uh, you know, control over a specific region. Like I'll know something got taken from me, but I'll not necessarily know the and again, I'll talk about dials. Like I, I won't necessarily know the dial that I need to twist in order to not make that happen. Whereas if I dive back a little bit away from a grand strategy and simulation to something like, like a, a sieve or old world, I can say like, Oh, all right. I just need to get uh morale or something or religion up in this town. And then I'll stave off the oncoming tide and those are the moments that i'm like i'm just like i'm i'm completely lost in all of the information that allows me to have control and i think that control is the thing that may be the dividing line between uh, a player a strategy player like myself and maybe someone like lynn who wants to have those interesting things happen from like far out on the other side of the solar system. Like you weren't paying attention to this planet 
And now this has screwed up every planet, like in between that planet and where you're looking at right now. Whereas for me, I'm just like, I, I don't know what just happened here. I I've lost and I have no control and I'm just floating out in the wind here. But at least with CK3, while I'm losing, I'm like focused on the fact that like, oh, my wife is sleeping with my spy master and uh, definitely they're trying to also kill my oldest son. Like that's the stuff that is interesting to me when I'm playing like CK3. Um, that I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, for me, and I think I've told you this before, you're in yeah. the sweet spot for Crusader Kings. Like I have always said, I think losing and we could do a whole separate show on this too, but I think losing in a grand strategy game can sometimes be more fun than winning, especially in Crusader Kings. Because if you think about medieval melodrama, like I always bring up the example of House Stark. If you were playing as House Stark at the beginning of a Game of Thrones and like all this bad stuff happened and like Ned gets his head cut off and like the Red Wedding, you'd probably just quit at that point because you'd be like, all right, well, my run is screwed. But I love that stuff. I love that kind of like uh, just I I don't know. I, just, I, I like suffering for some reason. I, I like the idea that these people I care about are just being put through the absolute worst situations possible and i think that is why crusader kings has always stood out to me as my favorite i mean not just paradox game but probably just favorite strategy game series period um because i you know to some degree i like not being in control what you're you're describing i like the idea that i might have to deal with overwhelming odds or that i might have a, a a very unfortunate turn in the story of my my dynasty or my kingdom that I have to claw my way back from um especially you know we talked about snowballing with Brett Devereaux not that long ago and I think that uh personally that's one of my favorite ways to deal with it is to have some sort of a uh you know a a big giant threat emerge whether that's the mongols or it's like space bugs or to have some sort of like a decline uh, or a great dynastic misfortune that sort of upsets your upward rise. Because that's how, you know, when we write stories, when we write discrete stories, you know, for movies or television or a novel, there's usually that peril. There's usually that moment of darkness in the middle before you reach the light. Um, uh, but yeah, that could be its own whole show. And that, yeah, and that, that might be the, 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 the separation there in that, uh, like I probably, you know, coming from console strategy games and Civ, like prize that control because even when those moments happen in like a Civ, those are explicitly gamey moments. Like, oh, an earthquake hit. Well, okay. Well, uh, I know exactly what an earthquake is. I know exactly how to deal with that problem. And I can, it's just a matter of time and, you know, twisting the right dials at, you know, the six cities that I own. And that's the kind of thing that I'm like, I, I think it is probably that control and the being able to reach a win state, which probably harkens more back, you know, towards the, the more simpler tabletop games. Like there is an actual win condition and whatnot, 
Whereas I, I do get the feeling sometimes talking with, with like you and Rowan that you're like, yeah, no, I just want everything to go to, go to shit and see what happens. Like that's the part that makes it exciting for me. But the Synthesis King is kind of unique in that, is that it's a strategy game where the main assets that you have and have fun with is not a territory, it's characters. The territory can come and go. It's the characters that you care more about. Or at least that's yeah. yeah, and that's what I found by playing Crusader Kings 3, whereas I tried 2 and 1, and I was just kind of like lost in losing that territory, like mentally, and then sort of and some of that may have been part of the preview process like having someone walk you through it and interviewing and being able to talk with the designer about it more often uh helped me get into it a little bit more but like prior to that i was just like i'm losing and i don't know why So I I think this concept of victory conditions is uh, definitely part of the tension between um, maybe these two styles of game. And and, uh, Soren, especially with a game like Old World, where you wanted to bring some Crusader Kings into it, but it's still kind of sitting on this sort of sieve-like base. Um, How did you come to the decision of like sort of how the player idea of victory is is conceived? And oh. We, I think we lost Soren. He is I'm, offline. But but I have a comment on, on that one while we're waiting. Yeah, go for it. Um, in some in some games, uh, some strategy games, victory conditions are absolutely vital, like Hotch Iron. Right. Yeah, that's like the biggest victory condition you can have in World War Two. So right. I I don't think it's. Uh, uh, victory conditions are not is necessarily a GSG or not binary uh, definition. Yeah, yeah, and at Hearts of Iron is almost kind of unique that it is about like a single conflict, but there are you know also things like adding mission trees to EU four. I felt like was sort of a way to take those players who jump into the sandbox and don't really know what to do and sort of nudge them towards what they should care about. Was that sort of the goal you guys had with, with features like that? Yeah, a little bit, but it's the mission trees are not only about nudging. It's also creating a narrative. So you feel get more of a story instead of a victory condition, as much as you can have a story in about in a game about the conquest. So it seems like there's a, a decent amount of like focus on, on sort of creating uh, a series of mechanics that creates interesting stories for you guys. And that's the, the, the real meat that you're looking for. Yeah. Stories is a good example or a good definition of uh, what you can describe it, but all those GCs we've made have different experiences. We've been talking so much about Crusader Kings and about the characters and how fun it is to lose. But then again, if you're if you're playing Hot Iron, it's not about. I mean, if you lose, you lose. But you also want to have the struggle. Like you want, if you're playing the Soviet Union, you don't want the, to just 
start the war yourself and pushing back the Germans immediately, you want to feel the threat of the German army invading. That's part of the gameplay, like overcoming the obstacle. So yes, the storytelling, I guess. Or yeah, it is. That's a really interesting example because the uh, like the the um, no step back update for the Soviet Union, where it was sort of designed that they're supposed to lose a bunch of ground and then take it back as sort of like that push and pull dramatic arc that I was talking about. Um, I'm fascinated with stuff like that. Uh, I think I've mentioned on the show before that a lot of a lot of my ideas come from the tabletop like role playing and and uh, like that realm. There's a game I really like called Fate, which is basically you imagine D&D, but um, every time there's a point in the story where it would be really interesting if your character failed here. I, as the person running the game, can slide you like a poker chip across the table and say, well, your character is really impulsive. So what if they kicked that door down without checking to see, you know, what was behind it first? And, you know, you know, something bad's going to happen, but I've given you a point that you can redeem later to do something really cool. Um, and uh, that's sort of like my. Where, where my brain goes when I'm thinking about game design is like, how can games create those natural up and downs that you get in other kinds of storytelling where the player doesn't feel cheated over? They don't feel like, you know, what Mike was saying earlier, like, oh, I lost and I don't understand why it just feels like stuff was taken from me and I can't do anything about it. Um, but, you know, but the player will be willing to maybe put themselves into suboptimal or dangerous situations at the promise that they'll be rewarded for it later. Um, in so, you know, there's there's comeback. Okay, welcome back. Um, Speaking of coming back. We were just talking about, yeah, comeback mechanics. Um, but uh, the question I had for you before uh, before you disappeared was actually about victory conditions and um, sort of when you wanted to incorporate more Crusader Kings type stuff into old world, but it's still sitting on sort of this civilization base. Uh, how did you decide how you were going to handle uh, sort of like, here's what the player conception of victory is supposed to be and how loose or strict that was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to discuss here because at some level before I even get to like grand strategy or crusader Kings, like I, I never really been happy with this, how victory worked in general in, in Civ games um, for kind of a number of reasons, but I, they, they had become, and this, a lot of this is my fault, of course, um, but they had <laughs> become, you know, the, the game had sort of adopted more and more kind of like theme victory conditions. And the problem with that is that basically means like, uh, if you, if you really push the player far in that direction, they almost feel like they need to call their shot at the beginning of the game. They're like, okay, I'm, this is a culture victory run, or this is a religious victory run or a world contrast quest run or whatever. Right. And then that means that, you know, a lot of these decisions that the player gets faced with of like, Oh, should you invest in culture or military? Well, you already know the answer to that because you've already decided like which way you're going to go. You're not, you're not like adapting, right. Which is generally good, good for strategy gameplay. Um, so I wasn't actually happy with that. And at the same time, you know, I saw like in the sort of parallel universe, 
you know, there are these 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 weird games came out of Sweden where people don't seem to care whether they win or lose, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, that's really interesting. So, um, so you know, I you know tried some EU and tried some CK, and um, you know, it, uh, it 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 was weird because for me because it was so different, you know, and you know, I would usually try to play them the way you would normally play a sub game, you know, just trying to paint the map, you know, trying to like get as big as possible. And, you know, sometimes that worked and sometimes that didn't. And certainly I had some interesting experiences. Um, but, you know, after playing for a while, I was like, I'm not really engaging here with the, like the victory condition is definitely not the reason I'm playing. So um, what does that mean? You know, like, what should I, how, what should I take from this to the, the new game? And so when I started old world, you know, there was part of me that thought like, Oh, you know, Victory conditions is just for old people, you know, like the, you know, the, you know, the kids today, that's not, that's not what they want. Um, and so, you know, I kind of like just wanted to see the role of like, okay, I, you know, I, I, let's just see how the game works without, without victory conditions. Um, and uh, we had something in the background for victory points just so like our multiplayer games could work. Um, but I think I had it turned off for the AI, like it wasn't even something that the AI could, could get. So we had kind of just a, a very generic, like, you know, uh, cities are worth some points, wonders are worth some points, higher culture cities are worth more points, right? And if you cross some threshold, you win. And like, I was like, okay, we'll just see how that goes. But then as, you know, as time developed, you know, I, you know, I got more towards, you know, the, as the events started to come online more and more with, with, with old world, something you know came in, came into focus with me of like, okay, we should try these uh, ambitions. Um, and uh, these come from a number of places. Like, you know, the example that always pops in my mind, which is the one I kind of use in my postmortem, is actually from Jetpack Joyride. That you know, when you when you play a game, because it's the first mobile game I remember playing that had this mechanic, right? Where you know you play the game and like three different random goals pop up, right? And that's the way of like they they add variety to the game of like okay, the game is basically the same each time, but now I'm trying to bump my head against the ceiling for x x you know x number of meters, or I'm trying to barely miss a missile, or I'm trying to do this, or I'm trying to do that. Um, and I was like, well, that sounds like a potentially pretty good mechanic for mixing up a four x game, right? So you know, kind of built in this kind of like this idea of like all these ambitions of like build, you know, build three wonders or make peace with this many tribes or uh, capture a foreign capital or, you know, get this many specialists or whatever. Right. And that you would pick them and they would come up through the event system. And so they would be part of your, your story. And, um, and this fit in well with me also disliking this, not wanting the AI to kind of be involved with this, where I was just like, okay, the human's going to have ambitions, but forget about AI. You don't even get, you don't get events. You get ambitions. I don't care because the last thing I want is for people to be playing the game, just suddenly randomly be told, Oh, Hey, guess what? The game's over because so-and-so, you know, AI has just finished their 10th ambition. Like that just, that that's a total non-starter. Right. Um, and, uh, and frankly, I think that doesn't work very well in Civ either. You know, like I think that a lot of those themes, that's another reason I don't really pick like theme victory is like whenever, uh, an AI on the other side of the world, you know, ticks over some number for like a cultural victory or a religious victory or something. Like, I feel that's, that's not, that's really just not a good, it's just not a good player experience, generally speaking. Um, so, you know, I had an ambition victory, but it still felt, the game just still felt kind of weirdly pointless, you know, without the idea that the AI, I mean, the AI could, I guess, theoretically, you know, still like invade you and wipe you out and, something you know stuff like that could happen but somehow like 
there was just something something missing where the game didn't feel real without some threat that you know the AI could you know could beat you at this game. Um, and so you know eventually I just added the kind of the simplest thing, which was you know I had that kind of victory point system in the background that I originally added for multiplayer. And I was like, well, I'll just let the that's the way the AI wins with the most simple basic version of like if they get enough cities and they get enough wonders and whatever, they cross some threshold. So it's it's like a it's like a counter. You know, like kind of like you're aware that like the, you only have so much time before you need to get your ambitions. And it's going to be a little different each game based on how the AI can do. And you can affect that too, right? Like if an AI starts getting close to victory, you can see like, well, I'm now going to target the Persians because they'll give me a little extra time to fulfill my ambitions. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it worked out pretty well in the end, but it was, it was definitely kind of a weird experience because, you know, I kind of wanted to see if I could do the thing that works in Crusader Kings. And, uh, I don't think I wasn't, I wasn't able to. And so, you know, I wonder if it's like, okay, that puts old world squarely on one side of the fence. We're like, okay, this is, this is a traditional turn-based traditional strategy game has victory conditions. You need, you need a lost state. It's never going to work without that. And even though we kind of have these kind of events, which, which throw people to the left, a little to the left, a little to the right or whatever, it's, it's still not, it's it still needs that that core whereas somehow something magic happens when you cross the other side of the chasm where there's enough going on with the characters that it compels people to play whether or not they care they win or not so that's my complete answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i think there's this tension um because uh johan and soren you both have worked on a lot of games that are depicting all of history or like a specific zoomed in era of history, uh, which is sort of my my bread and butter. That's kind of like what got me interested in strategy games in the first place, going all the way back to like Age of Empires is that like I was interested in history and I wanted to play through all of this stuff that I had only read about and put my hands on it and things like that. And I think there's always sort of a design tension between um portraying history authentically and making a fun video game. Or as I would sort of place Civ to one side and, you know, something like EU4 to the other side in terms of like where they decide the level of abstraction. Um, it's it's hard to... It's, I was like going over several different versions of this as I was putting the notes for this show together, because it's so hard to articulate what it is that I'm actually getting at. But I guess um, we could start with you, Johan, like where where does that line in the sand get drawn where it's like, okay, at this point, we will no longer be trying to create a realistic historical simulation if we feel like it's going to hurt the gameplay, like where, where is that tension line for you? Oh, many places. <laughs> uh, you could always have like the legality things like, yeah, you cannot simulate this because it's illegal to simulate it. Right. Uh, well, would you, yeah, that, let's not go there. Uh, but uh, for me, the, it has to be fun. The game, the game, it has to be fun. If it's not fun, it should not be in the game, no matter how cool it is to simulate. And some of the stuff we've added to 
games in the past, like the third version of Watcher Iron. I coded this cool system, which actually simulates weather pretty nicely with like calculating precipitation, temperature, having clouds moving around with water, rain, and super complex. But all in all, whatever it did was could have just been by like, oh yeah, we're gonna have random bad weather in this region. It was completely pointless to simulate this. But so I, I would say if it's uh pointless and not really impactful for the player, it's to it should not be added when it comes to uh, of course weather is not historical, but um but then again I would not add things that are that feels it's the word. When it's not plausible, what's the opposite of that? Impossible, impossible. Im- impossible. Impossible. Yeah. What's the logic for when it's im or un? un? I, know. <laughs> I think oh, it's look. it's the really just logic. Yeah, yeah. English English is four languages in a trench coat. We're not we're not very consistent with stuff we, like affixes. You can bring up infla- <laughs> inflammable or whatever one of those words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So um I mean I don't want, I mean, I don't like to criticize civilization, but now I'm saying something that civilization does that we would never do uh, because it would never work in a GSG game. Uh, one of the most iconic things with civilization is that you have a character. You play one character from start to finish. That does, would never fit in PDS, GSG type of games because it doesn't feel possible because it's, you cannot have an immortal play, uh, ruler for 4,000, 6,000 years. It just doesn't feel right. That's my definition of the complete opposite of what we would never be able to do in the DSG. So Soren, almost coming from the other direction, I feel like you know when you're, when you're making a game like Old World where you're kind of, you're definitely lowering the level of abstraction from where it is in Civilization, where do you say, okay, we can't continue to remove abstraction because it's not the type of game that we're making anymore? Um, yeah, well, the you know the interesting the combat characters definitely sparks something in my head because I mean for sure um, I wasn't necessarily expecting this, but once once we added characters to the game, I realized like wow, this adds all sorts of you know this adds all sorts of great gameplay for free um, because you know now you have you know, these, you can give these characters these different powers, right? That can be really, really strong. And then they're going to disappear, right? Because there's going to be a new ruler that takes their place, right? And there's almost no way to like make that, make that change. Like, you, well, I mean, you could figure out some way to make that work in Civ, right? You know, it's like, yeah, it's a new regime or something like that. But it's just, it, you just get for free with characters. There's, there's so much great gameplay that comes through um, for free when you're playing at that scale. So, you know, in, in regards to the question of like abstraction, like sometimes this is one of these, these few times where actually like, you know, we often think of like fun versus realism as like being like in conflict, right? But but sometimes it doesn't work like that at all, right? And like actually making something you know more realistic creates these interesting avenues for fun that weren't there before. So it's 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 you know it's just a sign that like you don't you know you, you don't want to kind of reduce things to that that type of a uh, you know a scale so so easily. Like it's I think it's actually one of the um, 
big handicaps the civilization has now uh, when it compares itself to, to games like Crusader Kings and Old World is that they really don't have a good way to integrate characters. Um, you know, they, they aren't, they aren't going to be able to benefit from that, that type of that type of gameplay. Well, I was thinking we, you recently talked about setbacks and ebbs and flows and up and downs in a campaign. That's one of the things we, that you notice in Crusader Kings and in Europe and Solis is that when you get the new ruler that has worse stats, you actually are performing worse. You have a challenge. It's a little bit artificial, maybe, but it creates a more non-linear path to the goal. Yeah, and then in, in Old World, you, you see something kind of similar, not just from the stats, which definitely can happen, but also from, I assume there's, you know, you, there's some kind of analogies in Crusader Kings, but, you know, your your leader will influence other important characters, you know, other the oligarchs and patriarchs and, um, you know, make, make you know, connections with them to get the religions, the families to like you. And as soon as that character dies, all of those connections disappear. Right. And so like the new new ruler will have to essentially kind of rebuild their their power base. And like I, I really love that because it 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 mapped onto like this actual kind of historical process that, that that did happen. And it just it just again fell out naturally from um you know the way the way characters just actually work because they die. Um, and yeah. I actually talking about setbacks in general though, like it, it's 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 it, it, um in in Civ, like a, one of the standard stories I often tell about working on Civ 3 and Civ 4 is that in Civ 3 we uh, had Golden Ages, right? That was one of the new features for the the title um, for the, the franchise, right? But new uh, Golden Ages originally started as Dark Ages. Like, that's how we designed them, you know, uh, while we were, before we, we shipped the game. And the problem was, is people just... Uh, uh, people just, I mean, people just didn't like that. I mean, that sounds so simplistic. Of course, they don't like Dark Ages, but like they reacted very, very strongly against that. And so we just did the, the kind of the obvious design thing of, oh, well, we'll just flip this on its head. Now it's a golden age. People are happy. Gives a little bit of different pacing to the game. Um, but this was this was one of those moments that kind of cemented my in my head that like, oh, players don't like it when we take away stuff, right? They don't like it when we punish them, you know, kind of somewhat arbitrarily. Um, I shouldn't do that. And then. You know, I see Paradox succeed by doing that all sorts of times in all sorts of ways, right? Like, that, that's, again, like one of these things that just kind of jumps out at me of, like, this, this, this gap here. Yeah, Mike, I'm curious to hear, does this, is this tension something that you are, like, like tuned into when you're playing, like, a history-based strategy game? Like, oh, I wish this was more realistic, or is that more of just, I mean, as you said, a nerd thing that... <laughs> So, so I was I, I was going I was going to actually say uh, uh, once Johan and uh, Sora got done, like yeah. part of part of the the split also is that a lot of my three uh, MA cohorts do care about history. I definitely do not. So, like when I engage with Civ, like I understand the historical contexts of different civilizations or old world like that. Like I understand the history of them, but that's not what I'm there for. Like, I don't like need to engage with history in a realistic manner. I'm much more on the abstract gamey side of it. Just like, all right. Um, you know, the Babylonians, are the more science-based civilization. Like I engage with it in that 
as opposed to the uh like all right how, does this civilization work like the original babylonians would have or does this situation play out in the same way that it did in history like like troy uh sometimes luke like uh, a lot of you guys like when you're you're playing the games like you are engaging directly with the history and that is a concern for you whereas for me i'm just like eh, it's fine <laughs> yeah and that that's that's kind of an interesting th- so the there's also players who aren't the gsgs that i feel like are more more in that camp um you know i think about uh you know someone like you know flurry worry or uh on the civ side maybe even quill 18 where they're thinking about it from this very mechanical game designy how do i optimize and get the most out of um you know the what's available to me um sort of thing yeah and uh i'm yeah i'm i'm curious like how how do you design for, <laughs> you know, the history nerds who like people like me who really care about which cultural traditions this specific Tibetan tribe gets, but then also, you know, you you have like the hardcore multiplayer people, you have the world conquest people, you have the deity achievement people uh, that just don't even look at the game in the same way. I guess this could be this this could be a, a Yohan question or a Soren question, whichever <laughs> whichever one of you wants to pick it up. Well, I was hoping Soren was going to pick it up. I, <laughs> I, I kind of actually lost the thread of what the specific question was. Can you uh, reframe well, it? Yeah, like uh, you know, uh, if if you have these two types of players that definitely yeah. exist, where one of them is I you know, read 600 page history books for fun. And I really am going to care about, you know, how, you know, maybe this specific, you know, uh, Ptolemaic ruler like is, is depicted or whatever. And then you have people who are like, uh, France is blue. I want to make the blue as I want to make as big of a blue blob as I can. I just want to make the whole map blue and I'm going to use every possible tool you give me to do that. Um, and Soren, you mentioned that it's not always, oh, you know, giving giving cookies to one side doesn't always take them away from the other. Right. Uh, so I'm curious if there's a, if there's there's a way to please both sides in a single yeah. stroke, or is it something you have to make decisions on? I mean, it, I, the way I look at it is, to some extent, uh, Old World is, is is ultimately more a game about Forex games than it is about anything else. Like if you really look at it. <laughs> Like, you know, it's, it's it, the, the major thrusts with the game were how to solve a bunch of core problems with 4X games. Like, that's why I made it. I didn't really make it to tell a story about, about history. Um, but I also love history, and I would definitely prefer to make a game it based on in history than on any, some, you know, arbitrary fantasy or sci-fi setting, right? So, it, you know, that's just, it's just kind of like a, a, an, added, an added thing thing of interest for me, right? So to me, then it's a question like, okay, well, where do I want to integrate the history? And because the game mechanics are so, uh, 
are so much of a, a, a you know a are so much addressed at other forex game mechanics. It, 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 I didn't really start the design process thinking about like okay, what does civics and training really mean in the ancient world, right? Like that's not you know what does what does orders mean? I mean, I did have a sort of sense of like oh okay, orders are the you know the legis you know the executive or whatever the you know how much command and control like your state has right like that it is a representation of that i think that's actually kind of kind of cool and kind of neat and different from you know it, it helps the snowball problem and it does kind of cool stuff like that but it, it you know it, i really wanted to do it just because it was fun right like it made the game more fun to play um but so on the history side like that's why i was really excited about getting the event system in there because that's kind of where we stick in a lot of the historical detail and you know a lot of the events have a little there's a little like globe in the upper left corner that shows you like you know, they'll jump right to Wikipedia to show you like, oh, this event is based off of this historical thing or this historical event or this specific character or whatever. Um, and so like it, it, they're kind of like as like, you know, fun breadcrumbs for people who want to know like what we were inspired by. Um, but I think we're, we're fortunate in that I think people no longer look at Civ or Forex games and they don't. I seem to remember earlier in my career, there was more PI discussion about them as like history simulators. Like I think we're kind of past that point. Don't people don't really look at them quite that way anymore, probably because the people who were interested in talking like that about things like that or have, you know, gravitated over to paradox games. Um, so I think these people are generally Johan's problem. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's his, his issue at this point, largely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's very much my story. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I mean, I, the next thing I was going to say is, is how do you, uh, Johan, how do you deal with that tension, I guess? And and the, the, it's now your problem that <laughs> those of us who read 600 page history books are going over your games and uh, looking for, for things we want uh, changed because it's not historically accurate. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the good thing with that is that uh, we have a lot of people that have uh, that have degrees in history that work at the company, and so uh, most of the stuff tends to be kind of correct. But uh, the other thing is that, um, how do you put it? Uh, history is not an exact science, and different books in different countries have different opinions and different data. So whenever someone posts something, uh, it's it's like likely that oh someone else is posting something else, and it's a big debate, and we get a lot of more knowledge and a lot of discussions, and we get something that we could probably add or tweak into the game eventually. But yeah, it's I don't view it as a tension or as a problem. It's more like oh yeah, interesting. Can we do something about it? Uh, Len, let me ask you something um, because you're kind of probably the, the stand-in here for someone who kind of like enjoys games on both sides of the the divide, you know, as we're kind of describing it. When you start, a, you know, I, I, you kind of explained like when you start a game of CK, you kind of want to see what happens, right? Like that's the mm -hmm. thing that most most drives you. Do you put yourself in a different mental state when you start a game like Civ? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always about the story. The story uh, that I'm going to tell is is why I'm there. And that even extends beyond Civ, beyond GSGs into like a Total War game or something. Um, mm -hmm. So if I'm starting a game like Civ, I'm thinking about what is this civilization going to be? 
what kind of major beats am I maybe going to aim for? I'm looking around at the map. I'm thinking about, oh, you know, what what story does this terrain tell? And, you know, I could go found a city over there and then I'm picturing in my head what kind of people live in that city and they're they're fishing crabs and they're gathering bananas. And like, how is that going to shape their culture and all this stuff that really only goes on in my head? Um, versus, you know, in a paradox game, the the level of abstraction is lower. So there's more of that that's explicit, especially in a game like Crusader Kings. Right. Um, but I'm still making up a lot of stuff in my head about this world and about the people who live in it. And that's that's really what I'm there for uh, more right. than anything else. And do you um, <sighs> do you when you play when you play Civ, do you care less about winning then okay, what's the way to phrase this? Do you care a little more about winning since it's it's kind of a more traditional strategy game, or are you okay with losing in that fr- framework as well? I generally want to win. Like it's not like I totally don't care about winning. Like I I I usually you know will try to pursue whatever the victory condition is, but that is secondary to telling the story of my civilization and kind of always has been, and that might be part of why I gravitated towards games that are designed in such a way that they, they put more emphasis on that. Yeah. See, whereas when I'll play like, let's say endless legend, like I'll be like, all right, so my cities need to be stacked. Like the locations in my cities need to be stacked as so, or when I'm playing XCOM, like I'm like, all right, in order to reach the either, you know, winning this battle, or playing something like Long War, which, you know, butts up against uh, some of my, you know, mental limitations. It's like I'm building this character. And if I build this character in this way, I get this outcome most of the time. You know, there's some randomization. But those are the kinds of things like when I'm playing Civ, I'm building the cities to do a thing in order to reach any number of conditions. And, and as Soren uh, noted earlier, like, like calling the play, like I'm like, okay, I'm building towards this. And even in some like simulation style games, like um, city skylines, like I'm building towards a thing still like in terms of optimization and mechanics. And that's the kind of, uh, divide for me like not being able to control and optimize on a mechanical basis is sometimes the the barrier for me yeah it's it's really interesting like i've i've said before you know i started this show by calling soren out so i'll incriminate myself now (laughs) by saying like i don't like tetris like because there's not a story i can tell myself in my head about what's going on it's purely just shapes that are like clicking together and and i get points for that and that has nothing at all to do with why i like video games why i like video games it's you know it's all about the story it's all about telling the types of stories and and, you know dynamic stories you know where i can't predict the ending maybe um and and it sometimes is as much about the story that i'm telling myself in my head as it is about the story that the game is telling me um And it's fascinating to me that, that, you know, the 
we're all in the same hobby, but there are people who are very much to one side or the other in, in terms of yeah. why they're here. Um, but I do think you pointed out, you know, it's not always attention. You both have pointed out, uh, Johan and Soren, it's, it's not always attention. It's not always zero sum. There are ways that you can kind of make it better for both sides uh, without having to choose one over the other, which is maybe more how I should start thinking about this <laughs> instead of thinking about it as a team sport where it's the role players versus the optimizers. And we have to beat them in on the, the field of, of the forum uh, argument. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what events and characters really for four in old world is to give a framework for players like you to kind of enjoy the game, even though it's in a very traditional four X setting. Right. Like it just it can, if if you want to be able to role play and like, you know, connect with that that part of the game, there is something there for you. Whereas I think you kind of have to work harder to feel that way in uh, Civ. Right. So that's to me, that was a, a big part of, of why we added that. But you still uh, need to have you still need to have like hooks that make you feel that it's a story. And I think that even for me, Civ is an experience game. Like you play and you experience your civilization you get the story and you get the feel when i play chess i don't get it and chess is arguably a very known strategy game or tactical or whatever you describe it but it doesn't give a story you doesn't you have no emotional connection to what's happening in a chess game play, at least for me but in civilization you will have it yeah, I mean, a big part of where that comes from in Civ is like just the investment of like, you know, I, I made these cities, right? Like they are here because yeah. I, you know, conquered this territory. I put them down. I named them. I decided what goes in them. You know, it's it's it becomes this reflection of, of, of you. And uh, yeah, I mean, Civ, Civ obviously still still works. It's just interesting to see the ways, you know, you know uh, what it is still what it could be missing and like what what makes it really hard. I mean, you know, I guess the question is like, what are the ways to improve a game? Let's talk about Civ 7. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> what, what are the ways to improve uh, Civ 7 for the, the, the audience who wants to role play more, but still within a world history framework? Because I think that's a, that's a, that's a big challenge. Like I think, you know, Johan's game, you know, Paradox's games, games like Old World, we have some advantages that, that Civ doesn't. I, oh. I would hazard a guess that Civ 7 will have more focus on characters just because every time I've talked to Ed Beach about <laughs> where he thinks the franchise has room to grow, he's brought up characters. So, uh, yeah, that's my I, prediction. I think right. that's completely wrong after civilization, but yeah. <laughs> well, we could okay, well, we could probably get a show out of that. Oh, oh. Yeah. That begs a follow-up, Johan. What do you, what do you mean? I don't think... For me, civilization is you are uh, Gandhi, you are uh, Napoleon, or whatever. You're that civilization you're playing through. If you have a bunch of characters, you lose the grand scope, you lose the connection. It's the it's like the core of the franchise for me. It's it's a turn based map, and you're playing one civilization with a definitive leader. That's the core of it. If, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I guess we could, 
I, I, at this point, I kind of think of, of Civ almost kind of like a Fantasia or a Fever Dream, you know, like yeah. it's just don't don't <laughs> think about it too much. Right. And I guess it's, it's probably instructive to think about like humankind. Right. And like how their big innovation kind of worked out or, you know, in the, the idea that they, you know, you kind of change your nation each time around. And it, it feels like for a lot of people, they found that it was kind of distancing. Right. At some point, they felt like they're just playing brown or green. Right. And and, 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 and even worse. You could not pick the one you wanted because someone else picked it before, or something like that. That that was my. Experience. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was like, yeah. okay, I've gone through and I wanted to be this. No, I can't be it. Oh well, uh, that's what me- I don't. No, I don't like criticizing other people's games publicly, but that's what made me bounce away from. It. Sure. Yeah, it. I mean, I, 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 then that's that's the thing I think would be could be pro- problematic if you know, like Civ has you kind of like bounce around from from leader to leader. You know, I mean, there's obviously lots of different ways to do it, right? Um, I don't know. I, I honestly am not envious at all of the designers of Civ Seven, right? Like, I think that's it's 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 in a it's in a kind of a, a tough spot. I mean, obviously, it's it's you know, they just need to do a a, a pretty good job and they'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the it's, it's the double edge of of success, isn't it? Like, you, it needs a change, but you can't change too much, or it stops being the thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't envy them. I I would just uh, do the easy way, like swap out some civilization, add one or two minor mechanics, have something like school update the graphics, and do some radical little thing, and bam, you earn another hundred million dollars. <laughs> well, it's funny because I think when I when I uh, interviewed you, Soren, for the big uh, the feature I did on IGN for all the Civ designers, was it you that said you would be a bad choice to z- design Civ Seven because you would not do something that was actually marketable, <laughs> or you wouldn't want to do something that would actually be good for the bottom probably line? something like that. Like I mean, if, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, at this point, there wouldn't be much point to me making like a traditional Civ game. Like if if I would want to make some big swings you know but i it's not clear yet what those would be but they would probably put the franchise at risk so <laughs> like, like you know do it, I, I, do it. no <laughs> i mean that's kind of what old world is to some degree right like yeah. chopping off the the last half of the game and and just making it more about yeah uh, we had that freedom yeah. because we didn't i mean I, i'm sure they could do they could do Civ spinoffs in a certain way, I guess, specific era. Like, I'm actually kind of surprised there hasn't been like a, like I was kind of used to very standard, like, okay, you do Civ and then you do colonization, right? Then you right. do Civ with expansions and you do Beyond Earth. And I was like, okay, well, what's that going to be for Civ 6? But it hasn't appeared. So it's, it's, it's kind of a little odd because it, oh. it is a, it is a good opportunity to mess around with different types of mechanics. Um, so I'm just, I, I, maybe the thing that happened was COVID. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Um, well, but, yeah. Uh, let me uh, let me can I, let me change topics here quickly because there's one other kind of small little thing that I I, I kind of wanted to get kind of reactions to. Sure. And that one one thing that that I have trouble with with the grand strategy games is the kind of like the opaqueness, the the black box mechanics that you see. You know, like generally speaking, uh, you know, I very much like to be on the transparent side of things. You know, kind of more like a board game where like. You know, like there is there is stuff that is going on under the hood in old world, but for the most part, you can kind of trace a line of like, okay, this this 
food comes from this farm and it, you can see why it produced 7.5 food this turn and you can know what's going to happen to it. And, you know, you can kind of trace all the resources through the game. Right. Um, but with, uh, like the, probably the, 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 the example that springs to mind the most for me is like the combat system in Crusader Kings, right? Like there's, you know, you get a whole bunch of different types of units, right? And they have different things or whatever. And, and, but then when the com- when combat happens, you just, there's this window comes up, there's a bunch of different sounds and some numbers, and then the combat's over. And I really have no idea what happened. And like beyond that, it, or the main thing I was kind of getting at is like, if you look at the technologies that the game offers you, it's like plus 7% to morale or plus this to that. But like, I have no frame of reference of like, what that number means in relation to any other number. Um, and I've always been kind of curious, like what's the point of showing the numbers if you don't show the other numbers, if that makes sense. Like again, might as well just say like better morale, less likely to retreat or something like that. Um, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, but I think part of it is because uh, UI is not clear enough uh, when it comes to telling you why things happen like when you when you when you fight a battle and you win and it doesn't the game probably now i haven't played crusader kings in a few years but it doesn't really tell you why you won and what these abilities did but i remember uh in imperator uh, and this is like four or five years ago i remember coding super detailed tooltips that you could look at every single regiment what what, how much damage they were doing in every single kick on the uh, in battle, and you can see exactly why you were doing things and how every single thing interacted. But when you're playing, unless you pause and actually tooltip the numbers and the data and all these things, you don't see those things. You see like, oh, numbers go up or numbers go down, or I win or I lose. So it, it's probably too complex of a simulation there. Yeah. So Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, to me, especially with Crusader Kings, I I don't even think about it on that deep of a level. I think about, okay, I can build man-at-arms. What's going to be good? Well, I live in the grasslands of France, so I'm just going to build heavy cavalry. And, like, that's probably the amount of thought I put into it is, like, you know, this makes sense thematically and roleplay-wise. And if I'll probably win some battles and I'll lose some battles. I lost this battle. Oh, I was in the hills, probably, so my cavalry couldn't do their full, you know, charge or whatever. That's probably why I lost. Like, that's that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, I, I so yeah, I, uh, I struggle with that. <laughs> I, have, I have a sense of like, am I doing this right? Am I constructing the right army? And I don't, you know, like when the end result is just kind of like, you know, like you, you do all this stuff and then the end result is like either a yes or a no. And then you're like, well, I, you know, did I win or did I lose? And, and like, um, it's, uh, and I can tell there's a lot going on there. So I don't, I don't think that, it, I think it's past the point where you could actually try to explain it what's going on to players and to some extent like it's it's fine right because if you can get over that that uh that that leap of being able to play just intuitively of like oh i probably want to mix i probably want i probably don't want to just have archers that's probably bad right you know like probably want to mix of some and and like maybe yeah like you said maybe it was wet you know i don't know <laughs> you know like you're, you're okay to roll with that um but i don't know i've always found it 
it's interesting com- when compared with my experience with Civ Combat, which is generally speaking, there's been a path to making things more and more explicit, you know, where with like Civ 4, like, you know, we actually were showing you like, um, you know, the, act- the actual percentage chance of winning this, this battle, right? And then Civ 5 had a really nice, you know, uh, integrated a call out that, you know, gave every single specific, you know, plus, you know, bonus and penalty and how those numbers compared at the end and how that, 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 you know, that led to the, you know, the final combat calculation. I, um, I, don't, I don't know if Crusader Kings has that one, but I know EU4 and Imperator has a battle, a imminent battle indicator that shows, like, are you going to win this battle or are you probably right. going to win or going to lose? And yeah. Some, yeah, CK, uh, CK3 does have that too, where it kind of gives you a, a rough probability of how even the battle is. But yeah, but I was going to say in, in Crusader Kings, the real answer is just marry somebody who has more troops than whoever you're fighting, and then you're. <laughs> yeah, that that's a solution. I, 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 yeah. I was just I was just thinking we're not talking about strategy games, and we're always referring to like civilization uh, as the basis for historical computer strategy game right now but uh for me uh uh i would say another sid meyer game is probably have been more influential and more impactful for the type of for, for the gsgs and i'm talking about uh, sid meyer's pirates pirates yeah. yeah because pirates has this this it had a bunch of stuff the ui was a little bit more opaque you didn't know if the economy was impacted by selling stuff, the ships uh, were randomly encountering the ships when you were moving about. I'm talking about the old version, not the modern one where you can see more stuff, but the old version was a lot more underneath the hood and it felt like you were in a real world as a pirate and you had like open-ended gameplay. And for for me, that's a little bit more, that's been inspiring me quite a lot in how to shape this Jesus. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that, I think that really comes down to the question of agency, right? Like, what's your agency supposed to be in pirates? Like, well, you're just you're just this one character, and you might have a ship, but there's this whole world going on around you, and there's like there's hints of simulation, and you're never quite sure like how much stuff is connected or whatever. But it's very easy to imagine it, right? Um, and I'd say, yeah, like that totally makes sense. The paradox games are very much built around that. Like, you know, like the, this, this idea of this, this the world is much bigger than just your 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 realm or your little domain. I think I think that's a good description of the difference. Paradox games are probably more pirates than civilization. I would agree. I would agree. Well, I'm I'm sure we could make this a two hour show if we wanted to with this panel. Um, but coming around to final thoughts, um, Mike, did we convince you at all on the grand strategy front, or at least help you maybe understand why? They're not for you. I mean, I mean, you have crystallized why they're not for me, because, uh, like I just said, like the I'm not as interested in the story or in the more opaque or simulation aspects. Whereas I, I'm I'm here looking to optimize. I'm looking to win. I'm looking to to like take my my box of lego bricks and build them in a way to accomplish a thing um whereas 
I, I think you're more willing to be freeform in regards to that, which is not to say I, I don't do that. Like something like city skylines, like I said before, would be something where I'm just less concerned about winning conditions in that case. And more just uh, allowing myself to be freeform, but generally like when I approach something like a strategy game or a grand strategy game, like I, I need those numbers, those details, that ability to optimize and aim in a direction. And sometimes that's just not the way it is. And and, and as uh, you and Johan have put, like that's sometimes part of the magic. Soren, did you have any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just, I, I, the one thing I'll say is I think that when you're making a game, a strategy game, you should definitely be very familiar with games on both sides of the divide and kind of be aware that like the danger is probably there's in the middle <laughs> zone. Like you probably want to like make sure that you're like, okay, I'm making this type of game and we're going to have, where we're going to pull influences from the other side, but that if you're, you know, it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard to kind of be, be in the middle you know you kind of want people to know what type of game they're getting into when they when they start and johan did you have any final thoughts on uh on the topic that we've talked about topics we've talked about today well it's been a interesting conversation and <laughs> that was I, I wish we could spend more time talking about it but yeah we're running out of time yeah um it's you know definitely something that uh there's there's three or four shows that could be like offshoots of this show. I think that uh, we might put on the calendar for sometime later in the year um, uh, when, when everybody's available. Um, so that is probably going to do it for this week. Um, three moves ahead is hosted on the idle thumbs network. Uh, you can check us out over there. You can also check out some of Soren's podcasts over there. Um, we're at idlethumbsnet slash three MA. Um, we are supported by listeners just like you on Patreon, um, where you can go to patreon.com slash 3MA uh, for as little as a dollar. You can help us keep doing what we're doing here. Uh, $5 and up now gets you all the bonus shows from now on. I mean, I don't want to say from now on because I'm probably not going to be doing this until the end of time. But uh, <laughs> and at least while I'm here, uh, $5 and up gets you all the bonus shows uh, from this point forward. We'd like to thank especially our Patreon producers, including Mark M. and Bucktown Party Whip of 3MA Multiplayer RTS Sessions. Um, Twitter, we're at 3MA. Uh, did anybody have anything you want to plug in terms of stuff you're working on, articles, podcasts, leak uh, games that are in development, anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I can leak. Oh, uh, I don't know when you're uh, when this is getting released, but uh, Probably after or around, we are having an U4 expansion out April 18th. Domination. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah, well, if that's everything, um, then uh, for Mike and for Soren and for Johan, this is Len saying good night.